1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. There's been some news, a little positive momentum going in the USC Trojans direction. I got Keely Yor in studio, Dan Weber on the line. We're going to talk about all the things that have been going on around USC football transfer portal news. We're going to talk about the live show. There's a couple of potential transfers that could alter what we may think of that USC recruiting class of 2019 that wasn't ranked very high. Uh, We'll get into all of that, lots of questions and stuff uh, on the podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, just email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. We actually got a lot of questions today. We got some voicemails. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail or send us a text, we got some of both of those. The number is 424-254-9141, 424-254-9141. Please leave us a positive review. Uh, five star rating wherever any kind of positive feedback uh, wherever you get the podcast. It's no longer iTunes. I think it's now Apple Podcast. They're split. Apple's splitting it up, so it's not. I think iTunes is going away. So you if you're if you're on the Apple products, uh, Google Play. Like if you're on an Android product, but wherever you listen, you know five star rating is good. And we've had a couple people tweet us about a whole bunch of episodes being downloaded. So we actually changed. Provider So 24 seven sports has gone with a company called megaphone to host the podcast. We just switched this like yesterday or like this morning. So if you are getting a whole bunch of downloads, it's because we're no longer on audio boom. Uh, we're on megaphone. Love the audio boom, audio boom people. If you need, if you're going to do a podcast, certainly recommend uh, them. They've been great to us, but 24 seven sports is kind of putting all of their podcasts in one basket under one umbrella so we've moved uh, over to megaphone so if you get a bunch of downloads sorry about that but that's just because we have moved uh providers but keely's in studio hello keely how are you
2: hello hello we say that the off season there's never an off season and i feel like this past week proves that in usc football world
1: yeah there's always something always always something something. there's always a reason to talk to dan weber who's on the line hello dan how are you
0: pretty good not bad although i i do think it's a new normal right now. If you remember, when we started getting this thing going and, and signing day would be one of those deals where people had to check in like every 15, you know, minutes they kept refreshing and going and they couldn't get any work done or whatever. Now, signing day is like, oh, I don't know, every day where you better get up and check, your, check the board because <laughs> you just don't know. What's going to happen? I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, we've never seen anything quite like this.
1: No, it's uh, it's pretty nutty. Signing day is more of a like a starting point instead of a, an end. Um yeah. there's, there's a lot of chance. So there's a lot of newsy stuff uh, we want to get to before we jump into all of that, uh, and we want to talk about the live show. I Just want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been amazing to us. I had a little. Uh, barbecue over the weekend over our, our friend who was at the live show Bruce Feldman over his house we got to play with his kids and a couple of our other friends and did did a little by the pool uh, grilling people hate it when you call it it's not it wasn't barbecue it was grilling but you know people just call it barbecue just because whatever it's a barbecue but it's a, <laughs> we were grilling we were grilling out uh, cooking out and uh, you got to try this they're rosemary balsamic steak tips so they come in those little marinated packages and you put up they're like little awesome nuggets of steak that you put in there they're already marinated and you just grill them up there it doesn't take very long to cook them and man I was just chowing through those things so there was it was pretty awesome so uh next thing you want to try rosemary balsamic steak tip so
2: Good, good to know. Yeah, Ryan's good. tips. Ryan's these are good. Weekly Trader yeah. Joe's tips.
1: Yeah. So they, uh, yeah, it was my my buddy Dan, um, different Dan. He he bought those, and I'm like, these are really good. And I was like, they were Trader Joe's. They're like perfect. So, and they had their little USA Trader Joe's bag that I got them and stuff. So
2: wow, well done. Yeah.
1: So thanks for that. So make sure you check those out. Uh, they are you are definitely if you want you know, like cooking for one, you grab those marinated things, just throw on the grill, and you know you could get a vegetable or something. Like it was, yeah. I, I'm gonna buy those for sure. Uh, after that, if you can tell, like I really you're like very it.
2: pumped about that. I was
1: very, I was very pumped. Uh very cool. Okay, so over the weekend we had we I don't know what we call it. We call it like the State of Troy. We did, we changed yeah. the name. State of plans. the Union. State of the Union. State of Troy. Live event at the Common Space Brewery in uh, Hawthorne, California. Wasn't sure what to expect when we were going there. Set up the audio equipment, and I, I mean pretty Much went off without a hitch. Like we had 130 people or so. We filled that room, like we couldn't put any more people in there. Uh, we recorded two podcasts I thought were great with Arash and Bruce and Jake Olson. So make sure you listen to those. Those are our last two podcasts. If you haven't listened to them, definitely worth the listen, each one of them a little over an hour. And then we, you know, we had all of us uh, Keely, Dan, myself, Gerard, uh, sharing insights of what was going on. We had the Brew McCoy stuff to talk about, but. I don't care. What did you think? I thought it was pretty cool. I thought
2: it was really fun. I, I really like when we get to interact with people who, you know, listen to our podcast or on the, on the board. So it's, it's nice to see the faces to like the Twitter avatars and all that. So that's fun. So it's, it's nice when you can go out and talk about USC football on a nice June 1st day. It was
0: a nice day.
1: Yeah. Uh, What about you, Dan?
0: Yeah, I, I love, you know, getting to, you know, see people. Maybe you only get to see them once or twice a year. You know, they're on the board or people you've never seen before, like, uh, uh, lawyer from, uh, Temecula, John Lieberg, who gave me that, uh, 1972, circa 1972, 73, uh, story, um, of John McKay, uh, to the LA Times saying it was time for USC to leave the PAC 8 back, you know, 40, you know, seven years ago, he was saying we've come to the end of our. You know, this isn't working for us, Bob. and he had all the reasons why. Well, you know, that's great if you're out there. Somebody like that says, "Well, I've been reading, you know, this stuff and what you've been writing, and I have this story. You ought to take a look at it." And, and that's just, you know, priceless stuff that you can see what John McKay was saying uh, all those years ago about the Pac-12. And you kind of wish somebody was saying that now. Uh, and USC obviously has to do what John McKay did. He said it at a time where he was gonna, he was winning two national championships in three years from '72 to '74. So USC's got to get their act together. They got to become USC again. But I don't think that you know just because USC hasn't that that precludes USC from just taking a serious look at the Pac-12. And just thinking, where is this going at this point in time? And if the, you know, somebody at USC has got to kind of take this on. And we just don't know if that person exists. You know, I, I don't know. But uh, but that was, you know, something that just happened uh, Saturday. When somebody, you know, John walked up and said, yeah, take a look at this story. Yeah. It's really interesting. And, you, and put a,
1: you put a column up from there. So that's good. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I have wonderful quotes. You know, from John McKay, his his ultimate solution was uh, if USC stayed and all the other, you know, Northwestern teams stayed, he said, well, maybe we could do it this way. They play three games in L.A. for every one time we go up there. (laughs) Because they split the gate evenly. And those teams would make way more money coming to L.A. to play USC by splitting the gate than... USC would ever. It took them three years to make as much money going to those schools. Uh, it was a just crazy stuff. Uh, that Notre Dame, for example, the way the TV contract was, USC made less money from the Notre Dame game at the Coliseum than Notre Dame did because USC had to split it with everybody in the Pac-12 or Pac-8. Now it's the Pac-12. So just some some real interesting issues that you know. They were occurring back then, and they're still here now. Yeah.
1: Um, well, I wanted to get your both of you guys' thoughts on anything that came out of that. Like you know, like what me, Dan, or Gerard, or Keeley, what, what we said. But you know, I thought Arash had some interesting things about Lynn Swan, Reggie Bush. I think uh, Bruce Feldman put the over under on if Lynn Swan would be the athletic director. Uh, you know, going forward uh, on like October first, he said he would take the under. Uh, which was kind of interesting. Jake Olson had some pretty cool stories about Steve Sarkisian when he was a freshman and uh, some right. of the antics there. But I, I think well, start maybe start with you, Keely, and then we'll get Dan's uh, – I know Dan's going to go in-depth. What, what, he, Anything you got that you kind of stood out to you?
2: I mean, all of it. I love hearing – I mean, we talk to each other all year round about USC football, so it's nice to hear other people talk about it and, and the things that they're hearing. And I had kind of heard behind the scenes about – the sark era and and what was going down but to hear jake's perspective of what happened was just crazy and the fact that he spoke about it so openly and easily (laughs) i was like wow okay we're going there because i think what prompted it was my question of like what what was your because like everyone dreams about going to college and going to your dream college and you actually did it like what did you expect and what you what didn't you expect and his was oh my my coach was an alcoholic and i was like (laughs) oh we're going there (laughs) Here so, we go. So yeah, so and props to Dan for kind of prodding even more into that that topic. But I thought that was pretty interesting to hear his his point of view on that whole situation. Yeah,
1: that's in part two. If you want to listen to that uh, for the, the live show. Yeah. What about you, Dan?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just the idea that you know here he was, Jake Olson was a freshman, just brand new, and a he wanted to try to talk to the team about you know, getting themselves back up together after, you know, a terrible home loss on Thursday night to Washington, Sark's old team. And then what transpired on that Sunday morning, a lot of which we've never really heard the whole story about, uh, you know, the situation and how it was when Sark showed up and why he had to be, you know, gotten out of there quickly and how much he tried to talk, all of the things that Jake just, you know, and here Jake's thinking, here I am, a freshman, you know, and um, I'm in the middle of this. What the heck's going on? I think the thing, one of the, the things we really had never heard was uh, uh, kind of the behind-the-scenes story at the whole Salute to Troy situation. And I guess we knew that uh, the one person who had tried to stop what happened from happening was... Um, um, p- 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 the twenty-five year uh, uh, quarterback. Oh,
3: Shane why Foley. I
0: think
1: Shane Foley. Yeah. No,
0: no, well, Shane Foley I think was the first one. And who else? The other uh, Why can't I think of his name? Oh, Todd Marinovich. Uh, Todd or? Marinovich. Okay, Todd yeah. Marinovich was the one who we understood. I guess, yeah, both quarterbacks apparently, you know, saw uh, Sark, and and I think you know uh, Todd Marinovich tried to stop. By going to, you know, the authorities at that point, but we also found out that Jake had crossed paths with Sark, who had missed both of the uh, reunions—the 25th year, you know, 25-year reunion, the 50-year reunion teams—and hadn't hadn't showed up there. But Jake crossed paths with him, and Jake said he actually started trying to see if he could find, um, you know, either. Pat Aiden or, or J.K. McKay to try to say, I don't think, uh, you know, Sark should really go on. And this, is a, you know, this was a freshman, who just brand new, you know, walk-on freshman uh, to the football team. And to know that you know, Jake was in the middle of stuff like that, trying to, you know, make stuff like that work. And I think, you know, what Keeley said, he talked about how you had to overcome things and you had things not going the way you thought they were going to go. And you had to, you know, learn how to deal with them and grow with them and all of that. I mean, there was a reason why that room got so quiet when Jake started talking. I mean, uh, 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 you know, most people know about Jake, but they don't get a chance to maybe, you know, hear him directly. And and he's just absolutely an amazing uh, success story at USC, far more than just the football part of it. Uh, What what he knows and what he understands and how he—I mean—you um, he, he would almost trust him if you, you know, needed somebody to analyze what's going on with USC football and maybe even the—you know—the athletic department. You couldn't do a lot worse than you know ask Jake Olson what he thinks because he really gets it.
1: Yeah, no, he definitely gets it. And anything about um, like the Lin Swan stuff or the Reggie Bush stuff. I thought there were some good insights from Bruce and, uh, and Arash. Anything?
0: Well, you know, the, the stuff I like really like from Bruce was, was, was talking about, uh, for example, and some of that in the column today about like, uh, the big 12, he does a lot of big 12 games and the difference in the fact that, you know, the big 12 schools are all allowed to keep their own, uh, you know, third tier rights. And so, you know, not only are they getting more than $40 million per school compared to the 31.3 million the Pac-12 schools are getting, they get to keep, you know, in Texas's case, another $15 million, Oklahoma another $10 million at least, you know, Iowa State 7 or $8 million, over and above that. So, you know, who knew that, you know, you knew the Big Ten was going to be maybe $20 million ahead of, uh, of the Pac-12, each school, but the big 12, I mean, and, in all these little towns, you know, in the Midwest and here, you know, here's the big 12 cashing in because they know what they're doing and they figure it out. Right. And, uh, and, and you see what the PAC 12 is doing and you just shake your head. And, uh, so I thought, I thought Bruce, cause Bruce really knows that stuff because he's there, he knows those people and to have somebody like that, you know, there Saturday you know, was terrific. And then Arash has got this whole ability to be where, you know, the big, you know, kind of the big names and the almost celebrity types are. And, uh, uh, you know, so he was able to, you know, track Win Swan down in Las Vegas, which is not a surprise. That That's, uh, Arash's hometown basically right now. And, uh, he's really good at, at getting people to, you know, talk about stuff that, that, uh, I'm not sure they even realized that maybe they shouldn't be talking about it. And then, uh, and then the whole, whole Reggie thing, we're, we're starting to get little glimpses into, you know, Reggie Bush and Reggie's return and how that's all going to work, uh, you know, in terms of the, you know, the USC prohibition on Reggie being around and the NCAA's telling USC he can't be around. Um, going to be, you know, really interesting. But uh, you know, Ross was the the one person who, who's gotten to talk to, uh, you know, the Fox crew, uh, and uh, that's going to be interesting the whole rest of the summer, as to, you know, with Matt. You know, I mean, how many storylines are there in the whole Fox uh, College Game Day crew? you gonna, you got Urban Meyer on the crew. You got Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush, the <laughs> back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners from USC. You got Brady Quinn from Notre Dame, where you know he was in a big part of the uh, the bush push game. I mean, uh, it doesn't get any better than that. I, and they haven't, you know, released their schedule or how they're going to do things uh, this uh, this year. But uh, be another chance for people to say, you know, if USC does stuff right they got a chance. I mean, there will be a lot of people watching that show who will not be very happy that two of the people on there are USC Heisman Trophy winners. <laughs> and the third is a guy who people are, I don't know if you've seen some of the boards uh, in terms of, you know, Brew McCoy and Chris Steele, but some of the boards are now saying things like, Urban Urban Meyer is already recruiting for USC uh, <laughs> for guys who who ne- you know next year. I mean, obviously, people just go crazy and say stuff like that. But that show um, going to be really interesting how that all develops over the, over the next year.
1: Well, you kind of brought up some points there. We have uh, <laughs> like breaking news, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, there, well, maybe we'll start with. The transfer portal. Keely, you want to update on, give everyone an update on what's going on?
2: Well, we didn't have a podcast last week. So we didn't talk about Bru McCoy. Bru McCoy is now in the transfer portal. Yes. And then now on our boards, 247, the pair style, it sounds like Chris Steele is making his way down to USC. And then also, Velas Jones is back. So USC in the span of a week. Got three more people on the roster.
1: Potentially, yeah. Potentially.
2: So, I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Yeah, but. so
1: Bayless Jones announced that he's coming back. So we added him to the scholarship distribution chart. So he will return. He was in the transfer portal. He's coming back very similar to Greg Johnson. So that's good um, for him. I think Dan had mentioned that at you know earlier. He mentioned it on Saturday. That was a possibility. Gerard, I think, mentioned it too. Uh, the Brubequois stuff we didn't get to talk about last week. He's still in the transfer portal Everyone just assumes, you know, so he's transferred twice. It's crazy. I've done like a 50,000 radio shows on that. We don't need to go do into it too much, but yet. Yeah, so, you know, look, he hasn't picked or announced that he's going to come to USC, but he's going to come to USC. And then the Chris Steele thing transferred out of Florida. If you remember, he was a four-star cornerback from St. John Bosco and announced he was going to go to Oregon. Uh, at the time he was transferring, USC technically didn't have a, an initial scholarship, Uh, For him, Bru McCoy was already taking one, so he doesn't count as an initial counter because he already took one up already. You can't count twice. Uh, But it looks like someone from the class is probably not going to uh, make it in. That would open up a spot, and it looked like that opens up for Chris Steele. He had signed, I think, some kind of financial paperwork, but it wasn't binding for Oregon. And uh, according to our Greg Biggins and Gerard Martinez, um, they were posted on the Peristyle, it looks pretty likely that Chris Steele will end up at USC, so some positive momentum, Dan. I guess you could say over the past couple weeks.
0: Yeah, and kind of unexpected, and you know, out of the blue, and and just a sign of, of how if you do things right at USC, good things will happen. You're, you know, you've got so much going, you know, for you at USC. Um, it's just, I know what you know. It frustrates. Fans uh, at, at other programs, but USC, you know, got an advantage. Uh, I mean, they're, 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 if you do it right, you have to do it wrong at USC to screw things up. Which is why five and seven was just beyond horrendous. I mean, it just there, there's no words to describe how a USC program, you know, could ever go there. But uh, that they could come back this quickly without making the kinds of major, major changes that were sort of promised, you know, that they were going to go the Notre Dame route and, 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 and do all kinds of things, but they did enough, you know, the Graham Harrell and getting some real focus on offense and, uh, you know, bringing in, uh, you know, the, the assistant coaches that they brought in that, that seemed to really um, want to coach, want to recruit and want to work together. And, and maybe fill in a lot of the, you know, the gaps that, that didn't get filled in last year. And, uh, you know, just, just the thought that, okay, they got a chance. The, the spring ball, I think the players felt like we're getting better. We're working hard. We're doing this the right way. Uh, this could work. And I think that word has gotten out. I mean, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, Bru McCoy and Chris Steele are considering you know, doing what they're doing if that word hadn't gone out. If if the word was still, Oh my gosh, who's uh, gonna be the strength and conditioning guy and are we gonna have an offensive coordinator? What offense are we gonna run? If all those things were still out there, uh those guys aren't aren't coming back. And um I think they uh you know I I think the people that are have turned this around or the are these players who have a, a you know a whole different feeling I think about you know, where they are now as opposed to where they were in January. And uh, guys that, that weren't coming here probably had good reason not to. And uh, USC kind of had to prove that, you no, know, we've got it together. We know what we're doing. We're getting better. Uh, this is going to work. Now, you know, we don't know that, that that's the case, but we know the kids believe it's the case, which allows Brew McCoy I believe it's the case and allows, you know, Chris Steele maybe to, you know, believe the same thing. And uh, USC doing all those little things. And then the, 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 uh, bringing in, the, you know, the Drew Richmond from Tennessee, I think that was kind of an under the radar, I think. I mean, a three-year starter in the Southeastern Conference is 6 and 320. And a kid is coming here uh, for USC's entrepreneurship program, which, you know, he, the kid that really wants to make something out of you know out of his uh, out of his master's program and which is something that USC does really well that program uh there's just a lot of things kind of falling into place uh that uh that nobody could have predicted probably in January yeah. you know the day that Cliff Kingsbury walked out the door I mean you could we knew that was coming but that USC would stay the course and, and make all the other moves that, that look like they're, they're working. Aaron Osmond has been a big, you know, a big plus in the weight room that the kids have just kind of taken to him. And, uh, you know, the, the discipline, I think that it had kind of been lost in, in, know the weight room is, is back. And, uh, they just, you know, the haven't backslid that we can tell. And you can see, you know, if a kid like Velas Jones, probably, it would have been interesting. It doesn't look like the possibilities that, that, you know, we're talking about Auburn going back to his home state with some family uh, issues and that sickness, uh, his grandfather, I believe, or Tennessee where T. Martin was, that those things didn't go through. It would have been interesting now what would have happened if either one of those would have come through because you got the feeling during spring practice, with all the times that you saw Velas around before practice, after practice, sometimes during practice, you got the feeling that he really wasn't prepared to to completely leave this program. And uh, so, I don't I don't think it was a big shock that 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 he decided, no, this is this is where I want to be. It's a shame he didn't get the benefit of you know spring practice, but um, but he's a solid uh, addition, you know, for next year.
1: Yeah, I think so. I actually tweeted out our uh, scholarship distribution chart and I tweeted and I think I tagged uh, Jones in it and was like, hey, you know, he adds much needed depth and uh, Jones kind of tweeted afterwards like, I'm not here for depth, man. I'm here to play. And I was like, certainly not insinuating that he was going to be riding the pine depth. Like they didn't even have five wide receivers to go five wide in the spring. Like you're talking about needing depth is because they didn't even have enough bodies to run every formation they would like to run. Uh, I do think He's going to be a big contributor. Shotgun tweeted out, I think it was like 31 and a half snaps per game he was taking, but certainly the production wasn't there. I feel his production is going to go way up in this offense. He's a real deep threat, um, and I I think he's just going to be utilized better. So he does add depth, but that doesn't mean he's never going to play. He adds depth because they need depth, but they're going to play a lot of wide receivers, and he will be one of them.
0: Yeah, I think there's a chance that, uh, you know, uh, Graham Harrell does like to line up with two backs at times and they basically during all their passing stuff, they have the backs flaring. If, you know, and if you line up with say, uh, uh, Vilas Jones and Tina and Kristen, and you flare them opposite directions, you better have a couple of pretty quick linebackers to run with those guys because Basically, I think they're going to just try to get them the ball as quick as they can and turn it upfield and run as fast as you can, as far as you can. Uh, they're just some – and we never get to see much in the way of the four four uh, wide receivers in the spring, and, and there are things that, that we haven't seen yet. But going uh, to be really interesting, the possibilities, and having a, you know, a veteran with speed uh, that can really take advantage of, you know, if they – they spend all their, you know, efforts with, um, you know, Michael Pittman and and Tyler Vons and Amon Ra, and you've got a couple of guys out of the backfield. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm just kind of interested in how this all plays out because USC's going to make. Uh, I think they've got the potential to make life pretty difficult for uh, opponents' uh, defensive coordinators. I think you're going to have to kind of, you know, pick your poison and. And if you get the ball out in two and a half seconds, it's going to be really hard to get to the quarterback. So uh, I'm going to be really interested in how teams are going to try to play USC. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think even Graham knows for sure. I mean, I think, you know, the people who use, who've used this offense or variants of it have not ever had the depth of uh, quality talent that USC is going to be able to put on the field in this offense. I don't I don't think anybody knows exactly how this is all going to play out. And I'm just, you know, again, we say this all the time. Stay tuned because we're not sure, you know, where this is going.
1: No, if it was a, you want to do stock market terms, you could say like January after Cliff Kingsbury and Brew McCoy left, you could say that would be the 52-week low, you know. Um, <laughs> that's what the stock yeah. terms are. And then today would probably be, the 52-week high, you know, and it's really going to depend on, it certainly was higher than anything uh, during the season last year so, but that, you know, it can be very, it, it's going to depend on what happens uh, those first six games what's going on. But it looks like things are in a better place right now, certainly the way, than they uh, were in January.
0: By the way, in the real stock market today, I think is up like over 500 points. So maybe you're paying attention to USC football. May, yeah,
1: maybe it's tracking. I don't remember. <laughs> was there a dip in, in January with the market? But
0: hey, uh, don't know that. But, but there was a bit dip with USA the football day.
1: value. Uh, there was, yeah, we had people like jumping off bridges and stuff. Um, right. <laughs> well, maybe not that. But just I just saw that documentary. Um, there, there was a documentary called I think it's called The Bridge on uh, uh, on YouTube. I'm just going down you're the rabbit You're saying
2: wall. this with such a happy voice and that's no. a sad move. It's like, it's about how, whatever, I'm not going down the It's, it's
1: su- like literally in 2004, people, so the, the Golden Gate Bridge, if you don't know, it's the most fo- photographed man-made structure in the United States, but it's also like the suicide capital of the world. And like an average of one every two weeks, someone jumps off the bridge and you have like a 98% chance of, of dying. Like it's like, it's 250 feet. Like you're going to, it's not good. Uh, but so what these people did, and I started watching the documentary, I didn't realize this. They filmed for an entire year, every day, the bridge. So looking for people. They were filming it for a whole year, and like in the beginning, they weren't really sure how to catch the people. But
2: Ryan, could, this is such a I don't know, morbid just, topic.
1: It was I know it, there was it is very controversial, but it was a really interesting documentary. And they went one guy that survived, they interviewed him and his family and stuff. So um and he, the first thing the guy that survived, survived said. As soon as he let go, he was instantly like, I know I made a mistake. That's so, what,
2: I, there was another documentary, I thought that's what you're referencing, where oh. they've interviewed everyone who survived, and they said once they, they let go, they wish they didn't.
1: Right, yeah, so. it's just like this whole thing. But it, I mean, I would go check it out, it was on YouTube and stuff, um, but I don't know how we got out of the bridge.
2: Yeah, Ryan, not a good idea. <laughs> Whatever,
1: I just, you know, this is, this is not just USC football, there's, we Sure, but
2: we, that's a morbid topic, and people I'm listen sorry. to us for an escape. That's we, true. we got pretty dark. There were a lot of
1: people that hated the documentary because it's like you were basically filming people.
2: Right. Just, we're trying to move away from, from that. This. Well, you can't yes. bring it up. Okay. No.
1: <laughs> well, Keeley. So yes. I'm sorry, to Keeley, to everyone. Tweet Keeley. No.
2: I, no. Can I jump in here for a second? <laughs> Specifically talking about Bayless, I'm really curious how Graham Harrell uses him just because, you know, like you said, Shotgun tweeted that. Velis uh, played three, 31.5 snaps per a game last year, but I feel like if you ask the random USC fan, like, hey, did Bayless really get into the USC's offense? They'd say no.
1: Right, they you thought know? he didn't play at all.
2: Yeah, and so I, I'm just really curious how Graham uses him, but I also think, I, I don't feel like USC's really been able this. to...
0: He'll, he'll, let me say that. He will use him far better than he was used last year, okay? Without any question, whatever he does with him, I mean, that's an unbelievable stat. Who knew? I mean, he was so uh, not a part of whatever they were doing. But then, what was a part of what they were doing? I mean, that offense was so unfocused. Um, it didn't feel like anybody, you know, was in there getting a whole lot done. And uh, But that's, I don't think we know.
2: Right, yeah. So, I guess, like, I don't feel like USC has gotten the full potential of Valis as long as Velas has been there. And also, I hmm. think it's also on Valus because the knock on him from coaches was that he's not consistent. So maybe Graham's repetition and practices will help Valus and, and Graham's system will, will also help Valus. So I'm just curious how that
0: looks. Going yeah. Forward. yeah. I think on both of those, the, the uh, emphasis on repetition and practice is perfect for Valus. And then a system where you're going to get somebody, you know, going to grass and Valus, you know, that I mean it's, it's not a difficult concept. You just try to, you know, beat, beat, Somebody to a uh, you know open space, and uh, I do think it really works. Uh, you know, for Vealus's strengths, I think it's uh, it's perfect, which is why you wish he could have been there for the spring because uh, he just uh, you know he's sort of that hybrid guy who uh, he can line up a lot of different places. he has got a number of those, yeah. but uh, but Bayless, so I think. I mean, I thought he was much better last year in so many ways and unfortunately just didn't get the chance to show it. I mean, I thought he came back, you know, he had better balance and he was stronger and much more mature and all of that and you just, you know, that offense let so many people down. Yeah. And uh so he's going to get a chance, which I, I'm glad. He's a he's a good kid, a popular kid. Everybody, you know. I think these are the kind of things if you had guys that people on the team vote you know whether you you let him back from the portal, you know, in the portal or not, he would definitely get voted back on the island. You know, he he's uh, he's somebody that uh, I think everybody's happy that he's still here.
1: Yeah, they wouldn't put his torch out if it was Survivor terms. Um, <laughs> so so in 2018, he played 12 games, started four times. He started against UNLV, Texas, Colorado, and Cal. Uh, 24 catches for 266 yards, one touchdown, and he had six carries for 13 yards. So. 24 receptions. So he averaged two receptions per game and played 31 and a half uh, snaps. So, not, I mean, obviously not a ton of production. I'm guessing that goes up significantly. But
2: yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right, uh, Keely, you want to jump into questions, I guess? Sure, let's do it. Do you want to Uh, talk about more documentaries that we see? No,
2: no. (laughs) Michael from (laughs) Newport Beach says, With Brew and now potentially Chris Steele ending up at USC, where would this bump up USC's recruiting ranking for 2019? And have others started retracting some of the negative comments we all have been guilty of lobbying at Clay Helton? Thanks and fight on.
1: Um, So real quick on that. So because it's a transfer situation, it's not really – Changing the recruiting ranking. so they did for Bru McCoy because he just was around for two weeks and and left. So they they actually, for at least the way it's, you know, classified by twenty four seven sports, Bru McCoy became part of the Texas class. If Chris Steele and Bru McCoy transfer into USC, uh, my understanding is they're not going to be part of the class. But someone on the message board did do that. We have a, a calculator, so you could like change the class however you want it and see where the class would be. They'd actually move up from twenty to 14, like above Ohio State. So, uh, I, I mean, technically, you could say, hey, yeah, these are really part of the class. But if you go back and look at the recruiting rankings for that year, that's not going to change. But it makes it at a top 15 class as opposed to, you know, the number 20 class. So, I think it's significant.
0: And, you know, I think also significant is you remove the number one player recruit at Texas and you remove the number one recruit at Florida from those two programs. Yeah. So, that's going to sting. I mean, there are lots of recriminations in Florida about, uh, about Chris Steele leaving. I don't know that there are as many recriminations in Texas be- uh, with Brew McCoy, even though he's a bigger impact guy, because of the way he got there. I mean, the Texas people know, okay, we kind of pulled a maybe a fast one to get him here. So if we lose him kind of the same way in our minds, maybe that's not the same thing. But it it stings. It hurts. Uh, Both of those programs are are really getting raked over the cold by their fans for, you know, losing these kids. That's tough. If you're Texas, if you're Florida, you lose your best kid. Uh Uh-uh. That's not good.
2: I keep coming back to when Gavin uh, Morris was on our live show. He kept saying... You know, I, t- I try to tell these kids who go outside of California, outside of USC, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And so how much if you have Chris Steele and Bruce McCoy coming back to USC, how much does that help and boost USC's recruiting in the sense that you can be like, hey, look at these kids. They went to these programs and yeah. they're back here. You know, how much of a boost is that for for their recruiting uh, strategy?
1: No, I, I think it can help because we've seen some of the top players, top players in California, start to leave the state more when UCLA wasn't recruiting well and USC wasn't recruiting up to its, its standards. We saw some of these guys leave and for two to come back potentially, like I think that that can't hurt, you know, I think yep. that's
0: something that helps. So we have a question. No, I think, I think they're making the case that, 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 you know, be careful. I mean, let's face it. There's so many positives about being in Southern California. And especially if you're a Southern California kid, and then if USC has its act together, you look kind of like, what were you thinking if you went away from a program that might be able to do for you what you want a program to do? And you've got all the other stuff that comes with, you know, being at USC and living in Southern California. I mean, there's uh, uh you know, it, I think it's pretty hard for California kids, you know, to turn their back and, you know, and uh, if USC is USC, it, it's much easier if USC is not USC uh, to turn your back on, you know, on the Trojan program. But uh, USC looks like it's going to be okay. They're going to do the right things. They're going to be competitive. They're going to. USC just has to dominate the PAC 12. It's that simple. I mean, there, there's no other way to do it. You have to do what Pete Carroll did, you know, what, you know, John McKay did. You have to be the team that everybody has to be, and they got to go through you and you use the Pac-12 dominance to become nationally, you know, you know, competitive for a national championships. That's just, you know, you may not get other stuff in the Pac-12, you know, in terms of prestige and, and, and a lot of, you know, financial rewards right now. But the one thing you ought to be able to do if you're USC is to use the Pac-12 is the way you get into the, uh, college football playoffs that's all that's all it's about you've got to do that and uh so you got to get the program squared away but uh, if you do the the pluses are you know they're just there are enough players here you know you've got to you know selectively recruit out of wherever florida ohio texas but you basically ought to be able to just say, you know, we're going to own Southern California. And, you know, the fact that this happening in the year where it looked like USC and UCLA had lost Southern California um, is really a big deal. I mean, to have it turn around that quickly, that's uh, pretty amazing.
2: So we have a quick question that we got through a text, but they didn't put their name. They just wanted to know where USC uh, would be, in the Pac-12, if you added in Brew McCoy and Chris Steele with all the 2019 signees? Uh,
1: it would be I think second instead of, right now it'd be I think it's, uh, USC was behind Washington. And, Washington, yeah. Yeah, so I think Washington was in the teens. I gotta go back and look. I'll, I'll check real quick right now. it'd
0: be really close. USC and Washington would be real close yeah. at this point. But uh, yeah. Oregon
1: would still, Oregon was still like a number five or number seven or something like that. So it wouldn't, wouldn't pass Oregon, but
2: so we have a question from Nick Kearns. He says, What question is, with the time that's passed over the weekend on Bruce McCoy, what was the real reason why he left USC the first time and now the reason why he's leaving Texas? Fight on, Nick.
0: If I had to say it, I think USC was just all over the place in terms of you know, the program. I mean, you, you just you didn't have much confidence in, are they going to get the weight you know, situation, you know, correct. And I think that mattered a lot to some of those kids. Um, And it just didn't look like they had made, you know, the commitment to, to, to figure that out. And then, um, you know, with the flux of, I mean, I think one of the things with, with Cliff Kingsbury leaving is, did they, were they for sure committed to going that route on offense Or, or was it, you know, was it going to go back to like last year? And, you know, you, you had already lost, I think, T. Martin, who was the primary recruiter, I think, originally on, uh, on Brew, you know, the wide, rec- wide receiver and uh, coach. And uh, I think Texas stayed winning. However, you know, whatever exactly that means, Texas stayed very, very close and, and, and was right there for him. And I know, you know, some people at USC aren't very happy about how close Texas may have, you know, stayed, but he had an easy, an easy way to, to decide, okay, I got to go somewhere where they've got their act together. And he had been, you know, at the USC Texas game and saw the difference in, in the programs, uh, you know, as that game played out. And, uh, I think it was just, Hey, I won a national championship at high school at modern day and or two i guess and and i wanted to keep that going and my better chance to do that is at texas that's kind of the reading that i would give it i don't know if ryan has has another uh another take on that
1: uh no i think I'm, I'm i'm with you on that um you know i real quick there was something that came up on the board i wanted to bring up with Ooh. you guys um i don't think this is the case but for Somewhat, uh, P. Polly asked for uh, Chris Steele and Brew McCoy if to say they're not eligible to play. Uh, they can't play four games during their redshirt year, right? I think if you're not eligible, you just can't play. Um, right. It's not like a regular redshirt year. Yeah, that wanted, would make sense. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of bring that up. Um, but yeah, Right.
0: they have to be. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, Chris Steele, based on the precedents that they've set for some of the high-profile recruits who've been allowed to immediately become eligible, I think it would be almost impossible for the NCAA, not saying they wouldn't do it, you know, it's USC, they don't care, Uh, but I would think Chris Steele with what happened at Florida is going to be very hard to turn down in terms of being immediately eligible. I mean, I think think it almost would be actionable if uh, the NCAA turned him down. After allowing some of the other people, uh, you know, to play m- m- with what happened with his roommate and the legal issues, you know, going on and and the failure to listen to him when he requested a you know a change in rooms and all that kind of thing, I think his case is pretty solid. Brew McCoy, I don't think we have any idea, yeah, how how that what precedent or not that he had he transferred to a – had this all happened – had USC been one of, let's say, the favored schools, you know, if USC was Alabama or Ohio State or somebody like that, Georgia, uh, he might have a better chance. I don't, I wouldn't disagree with that uh, because they can almost do whatever they want and say whatever they want is the precedent here and, and just do it. Um, so – I don't know. Uh, I think I, you know, if a kid ends up at back at the same school he left from and he was an early entry kid, I might give him the benefit of the doubt, to be honest. And and I mean that for any kid anywhere at that, you know, young age and you're going in early and you're missing your high school prom and all that kind of stuff. And you decide, no, that wasn't a good move. I want to go back to my original school. I, I, my tendency would be to say, okay. We'll give you that one. Uh, but what the NCA says I don't I don't know at all.
3: Um, yeah,
1: and, then, and we have a, a voicemail uh, about Brew McCoy and stuff too, but I yeah, I do feel what Dan said I just and I think Gerard said this too, so much turmoil going on at USC uh, that was very much a, a big f- factor of what was going on and then things got better. It's just there's a lot of momentum right now, so it, th- it just looks a lot more attractive. Uh, for Brew, but here's, uh, the voicemail question about Brew. I'll play it for you.
3: Hey, Ryan Curtis from Moreno Valley. I just listened to a podcast for Texas football. There's something like the Peristyle because I wanted to hear what they said about Brew McCoy possibly transferring and what they would lose. And they went on to say these people who are just like our crew for the podcast. They said that Brew McCoy was setting an example for workouts, even with the, the older players. I mean, this dude was going to play and play a lot. They compare him to Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, I know he was a linebacker and a receiver, but he was going to play a whole lot for Texas in his freshman season. That's how good he is. And uh he was just homesick. So even though I was mad that he... Left, you got to understand the Kingsbury effect when he left, but now he knows we're running the same offense with another Mike Leach disciple. So he's coming back, and he's a really, really good player. I wouldn't mind putting him at outside backer sometimes just to tear up the quarterback. Curtis from Moreno Valley.
0: Yeah, Curtis, I, I mean, Brew wants, wants to play – offense. And I think he's talented enough to be able to, you know, play where he wants to play. And I do think you have to, you know, there are some kids that you just have to allow them to do that. Um, I think, yeah, I think you could make the case that he might be a more highly sought after NFL prospect if he played defense. Uh, But, uh, and, and I don't know that we know completely how his body, you know, is going to fill in and exactly, you know, what, you know, what you're, what you're talking about, but, uh, but, um, I, you know, I don't think anybody looks at those kids, you know, come out of modern day the last few years without thinking these kids know what it takes. And, and that's why, you know, that's why he went from Palos Verdes to, to modern day. Uh, that's a pretty big, you know, jaunt every, every day. And, and, and that's a pretty big commitment. And um, so I think he brings an awful lot of good qualities uh, to USC, and I think he did, you know, stand in there really well at Texas in the spring. I don't think there's any question. And so did you know Chris Steele was was starting you know as a corner. I know they had a, one injury, but uh, but you know this those are you know these are guys that they were more than just penciled in you know for those two programs uh, this fall. So uh, but yeah, I think Brew. McCoy, whatever he does, will be a a, a positive influence uh, around the USC program. Just you know, just the way he carries himself, the way he works, uh, how good he wants to be, and the fact that he's almost willing, you know, to give up next year if that's what it takes to play at USC. That's a heck of a commitment. So uh, there are a lot of good things that you know can come out of of Drew McCoy, you know, coming home and wanting to play with his guys.
2: So we have a question from Don. He says, how is it that so many football players can graduate in three years with all the time devoted to football? I always thought their workloads were just enough to keep them eligible as opposed to graduating early. Also, hopefully the media will not try to psychoanalyze Brew and accept a simple explanation. Don.
0: Well, I mean, they start early, okay? So they're all, you know, going to check in uh, this week actually i think uh, um so they get uh full-time as much as you can get in the summer first session for sure uh some of them even in the second session and they get you know summer sessions uh all the way through so you could probably pick up you know close to another year of um of credits uh in the summer and and i think that's pretty much how, how they do it. Uh, they, you know, they, they say, and I know it does affect, you know, their scholarship, it affect, you know, staying on campus and all of that. Uh, they've not, they've got to be in class. So they pretty much need to be, um, you know, in class in the summer uh, to be here and to be working out. So the whole workout thing actually works hand in hand with the classroom thing. Um, that way, you you know, you keep them on all the, uh, you know, the nutrition programs and the weight program and all of that. And basically, uh, you know, they stay on campus the whole time. They're not, you know, going home and spending a whole lot of time at home. And uh, so it actually academics and athletics you know, work together to get those guys through early.
2: Yeah. If you put together three summers worth of classes, that's essentially a year. Yeah. So. It it works out. It
1: definitely it definitely helps, and you you still have to take a full. I mean, you can't take eight units. Like you have to have at least twelve units or so. Yeah. So it's, you're you know you're working through it. And some guys are just better at it than others too. But there's more opportunities because you're there more than as a regular student you would be.
2: Yep. Uh, we have a question from Brett from Valencia. He says, hey, guys, my question is for all of you. Uh, do you see a difference in Clay Helton this year since he's been taking, he's taken over the head coaching job at USC for a while? Because I can tell that from watching the videos they, that I can see a difference in Clay now, and I would like to get all of your opinions on it. Thanks, as always. Fight on, Brett.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's changed. I, I do think he's figured out what his role is, and I think he was really caught up and trying to uh, figure out the offense. And I think he spent a lot of time. And, you know, they were going from a, you know, a bad, uh, you know, premise with, that they could, you know, take a little bit of what, you know, Lane did, a little bit of what Pete did, a little bit of what, you know, um, Tyson and Clay and, and T and, and put that all together. And they couldn't. And that wasn't working. And I think so much of his week to week to week work was trying to figure out, well, what can we do this week that'll work? Okay, last week didn't work very well. What could we? And uh, got into that whole thing about, you know, what well, if I come up with another play? Or what if we line up like this or whatever? And, and so they got away from, uh, you know, having a basic philosophy and practicing to it and practicing hard and practicing you know, game under game pressure at game speed, all of the things that you need to do. So they ended up kind of every week, you know, walking through stuff and trying to hope this was going to work. And, and, you know, they were tentative. They were tentative when, you know, the other team really came after them, made life, you know, very different. You got a freshman quarterback and uh, you know, the offensive line didn't seem to always know what exactly they were doing or supposed to do. And, They couldn't run the ball when they really had to. Uh, I couldn't control games and all of that. So I think he's basically now, I'm the coach of the coaches, but I'm going to really, you know, turn it over to my coordinators and require them to, you know, get the job done and trust them. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, I think where they are. Uh, You know, Clay has kind of removed himself from the hands-on stuff, but much more, I mean, doing things like, making sure they've got uh, Pac-12 officials there at every day of practice. I mean, the, uh, the lack of penalties, I mean, it wasn't just they weren't calling them. They just weren't committing them. And it was as different as you could imagine in practice. I mean, they just didn't. You know, They ran more plays. Every one of the quarterbacks, you know, all four of them got a, got a shot at, at really, uh, you know, doing as much as, as you could possibly do. And yet, you know, nobody was screwing up. Uh, I think, and and Clay would take guys out. You know, he, he, you know, you you screw up a play, and he'd be pulling you out and um, doing things that we hadn't seen him do because they were always thinking about other stuff. So, uh, so I thought, you know, he got to where uh, he needs to uh, he needs to be uh, to be the head coach at USC, and you got to get your assistants proper. You know, you got to get the right assistants. There we're guys that are going to all work together, and you got to get the players believing in what you're doing. And and I think a lot of that happened. Uh, so it was a different Clay, was much more comfortable, I think, doing this than trying to come up with answers that he he just wasn't able to come up with.
2: Yeah, I think with time, everything everyone gets better and finds their place better. I mean. We say it all the time, but he was a first-time head coach. There's gonna be struggles that come with learning on the job at USC. And I think part of it too is what Dan just said, you know, he doesn't have to have his hand in everything in order to feel like the head coach. You know, you can leave it to your assistants, you can leave it to your coordinators to do the offense, do the defense, and you and you will still have your title and status as head coach. You know, you don't have to have your hands everywhere and you can focus on your strengths as a as a leader and a coach. And I think that's what Hilton's kind of getting. Uh, this spring and and moving forward. And I think if you're a USC fan, you'd hope that he he understands that more.
0: I agree. Thank you. Uh, I think he does. I think he does. I mean, I think he's getting there. He just, and I know he drew a lot from his dad, uh, Kim Helton, who really, you know, well-respected NFL assistant, college assistant, had a little rough time of it as a head coach at, at Houston. Um, uh, University of Houston. Uh, but I, I just, you know, I just think he was trying to come up with answers to maybe the questions you didn't need to answer. You needed to maybe start, uh, below where the next play was going to come from or how are we going to adjust it. And they, they were often counter punchers. Instead of saying, this year now, they're saying, we're going to do what we do so well you're going to have to adjust to us instead of, I think there was a lot of that. It was a lot of Lane Kiffin and Stark were also that way where they were going to figure out, here's what you do. Well, we're going to do this and we'll, we'll figure out something that you won't be able to handle. You can't do that on a week to week basis. You just can't, you you've got to be yourself and you got to try and make them stop you. And that whole counter punching thing, I think uh, really caught up, you know, with Clay trying to figure out, well, what can we do to, you know, adjust to what you do, allowing the other team to do what they do well and saying you're going to take advantage of that. And that doesn't, you know, you've got to be yourself and you've got to figure out what do we do best, what can we coach best, what can we practice best, and what can we show up on Saturday able to do better than you can stop us. And that was kind of missed. And I know people would say, wow, that's pretty basic. Yeah, it is. Uh, they got off track pretty badly. Uh, they did. Can they get back on track? I mean, it, it, it's a leap of faith to say that because it's, it's really going to be hard to come back from, from five and seven. However, you know, John McKay certainly did. He had some, you know, years where you would have thought, man, what happened? Or, you know, his first couple of years, uh, you know, sub-500. And he figured it out. And, um, you know, not that you want to put Clay in that same category at all, but there are times where you see guys make that kind of progress and and, and do realize who they are and what what it takes for them to be a winning football coach. And uh, you wouldn't want to be betting on the guys who – haven't figured it out that they're going to figure it out but it does happen so usc can just hope that this is one of the times
1: yeah all right, we're at the, out like, about the hour mark. We still got a lot of questions. We have though. a lot of questions. So we'll try to get okay. we'll try to work through these. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: And just for the record, I wasn't saying that Clay has it all figured out now. It's still a work in progress. Keely, mm. don't mm. Keely. Don't persecute me on the board. I'm just saying.
1: Right. <laughs> at Keely is my name. No, she no, thinks no. Clay Helton has it all figured out.
2: No. Uh, we have a question from Dan Class of 1962. He says, my question is for Dan. What are your thoughts about football recruits participating in spring sports? This might also include Drink London and basketball. Thanks, as always, for your insight and fight on.
0: Yeah, you kind of wish, you know, you could go back to the day when almost every one of the national championship USC baseball teams had football players, you know, playing, you know, John Jackson, uh, uh, Mike Garrett, uh some of those guys were really good baseball players and, uh, and, and that the specialization is, is kind of made that a thing of the past, uh, what you would like to see is, though, that uh, kids that are, you're recruiting do other sports uh, when they're in high school. And, uh, you know, maybe they, whatever it is, you know track and field or, or a sport with a ball. I mean, I think uh, Sam Darnold's basketball really helped him, his skill set. I got to watch him play a few, few times, more than a few times in, in Orange County, and there's no question what he learned and he was you know a, a big time baseball player too so i you would like to see that but can they do it at the college level now boy i don't know I, I, I hope so i hope for you know a few guys that are coming in this year in this class are going to do it um whether the time works out i mean i think I think there were ways that it helped the Dory, for example, and ways it may not have helped the Dory. So, you know, um, not an easy answer. I think, you know, an individual thing, um, it's not the way it used to be. You wish it would were able to be, but, it, but it's not.
1: Uh, we got a voicemail one I'll play for you. Um, here you go.
0: Hey, guys, this question is for Dan. So I understand what you guys have been saying about the fact that a traditional pocket passer who makes quick reads and is able to get the ball out quickly and makes good decisions would be the best fit for this style of air raid offense I know it's kind of an offshoot of the air raid offense but it's still essentially based with the principles of the air raid offense so like a JT Daniels a Luke Falk a quarterback like that a Cliff Kingsbury heck even a Graham Harrell back when he was at Tech would be the best fit for the style of offense but does the fact that Graham Harrell has been giving scholarship offers to more dual threat quarterbacks mean that maybe Jack Sears has more of a shot than you would think based upon the traditional air raid quarterback Anyways, I'd be interested to get his thoughts. Fight on, Jason, a Longhorn country. Hey, uh, I think I think what's happening is those uh, quarterbacks are more available uh, to USC, uh, and, and you just go for the best quarterback. And if you can run, so much the better. I think we talked to Graham a lot about this, and all he will ever say about running is. That's nice, but it's absolutely not much of a factor at all. And I know there are people who I mean, who think that if you do like to run or even are good at it enough to contemplate doing it fairly regularly, that that's probably not a good thing in Graham Harrell's offense. He wants you to absolutely be committed to find that first guy who's open and get the ball to him. So um, does that help Jack? Probably not. I think accuracy and decisiveness and timing are the keys for yeah, the quarterback in, uh, in, in Graham Harrell's situation and, uh, and system. And I don't think I – I wouldn't read too much into the fact that Graham Harrell's having, uh, you know, some uh, different thoughts about the running – component in his offense i just think you know if, if you get somebody who can do that but not at the expense of of getting the ball out quickly and decisively and accurately then that's fine but it's probably not anything that he's thinking about uh the way he sees the game i don't think
1: yeah i wouldn't read anything of that bryce young you talked to bryce young i recently. did yeah i did any any thoughts?
2: I thought it was interesting. He said that uh modern day's head coach has actually talked to Graham Harrell um, and they're implementing things in the next season from USC's playbook into modern day's playbook. So,
0: Whoa. yeah.
2: So Bryce really wants to get comfortable with the USC's uh, system so he can kind of plug and play and walk in there and be comfortable. And he said that, that it's very similar to cathed- cathedrals offense, which is where he was before he transferred to modern day. So it seems like oh, okay. good things.
0: Yep nice Easy. yeah and i think one of the things that happens is when when a guy's as athletic as he is that you tend to i think just sort of automatically maybe not focus as much on his arm but he throws the ball great and he throws it accurately and he just has the ability to do all the things you want a quarterback you know he might not be six foot five and 240 pounds but uh he can he can thread the needle. He can get the ball. He can run you know one direction and throw it back across his body. Uh, so I think that's the key you know component. Now if he gives you a, you know a couple of first downs a game because he can scramble when, you know when he's up against it that's even better. But uh, I think it's it's the throwing, the decisiveness that and the accuracy that really matter.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a question from Stephen Poway. He says. Do you know anything about the economics of the USS Scholarship Tower? (laughs) You know, the aircraft carrier that will be christened on the south side of the Coliseum this August? For example, will USC charge a flat rate per luxury box seat, uh, per luxury box this season? Would USC receive more revenue from the tower if the team plays seven versus six home games? Think FCS team conversation. Will they charge separately for concessions, etc.? Do you know if they have rented out the entire tower? Where I'm going with this really is, will the revenue with the new tower ultimately pay for the loss of 9,000-plus seats, plus those that will be blocked, that they had to remove in order to place the tower where it is, forgetting about the construction costs for now? Any information you can provide would be helpful. Thank you, and fight on, Steve.
0: Well, Steve, here's what I understand. I don't think the, uh, I mean, basically, if you paid. Seven and a half million, which a few did, and or or one or two or ten million uh, for those boxes. It's not going to be changed uh, according to uh, you know the number of games. Um, From what I understand, they basically sold out. uh, You know all the boxes, and I think maybe you know there are 150 club seats left to go, but they're basically it's a good deal. So if you've got that kind of disposable income. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great facility for those people. You know, if you were one of the 9,000 plus who, whose seats are gone, that's not such a good deal. But, uh, but they're it's, it's very popular. And, uh, and I under, let's see, I guess the second level, uh, not the founder's suites, but the next level of private boxes, I think the commitment is $500,000. Is it a hundred thousand a year, maybe something like that? And I don't know that that's uh, tied into um, uh, the number of home games either. I don't believe that it is. As far as the um, you know concessions and all that, and they're going to have you know, all kinds of uh, you know bars and uh, you know concessions and things like that right in that facility. I mean, and, and on different levels, you know, they're going to have. You know, it's not just gonna be in one place, but it's gonna be at all the different levels. And I don't know if you're once you're in there, do you have to pay for anything over and above that? I actually don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know how they're how they're doing that in you know, in terms of uh you know what what you get with uh you know, your $10 million or or whatever. Yeah, Uh, it's a good question. Like if
1: you get a suite at Staples Center for a Laker game, like you can, you know, you have X amount of tickets and you can watch the game. But sometimes if you want like the dessert cart, like that costs extra or, you know, certain ones. Uh, But if you're looking at the overall number, I mean, there's definitely going to be fewer people in that area that will be spending money, you know, for parking, for, Concessions and things like that, because you just have fewer people in that area. It just depends if the people that got displaced, if they're still coming to the games and they'll still, you know, buy sodas and and things like that. It's it's hard to say, but um, it's yeah, th- th- that money is basically going to pay for the renovation. They're putting that ten million dollars up front, and you can you know spread it out over x amount of years or whatever when you are paying it uh, paying it in there. But yeah, that's it's a good question. Uh, not exactly sure how that's going to work.
0: I mean, financially. USC is doing pretty well because they're basically updating you know a Coliseum that's almost a hundred years old um, and wasn't updated and wasn't kept up and so they're going to get to do all the you know the upgrading and the maintenance and the new seats and the new aisles and the handrails and the Wi-Fi and all of that stuff and the people you know in the private you know in the tower, are going to pay for a lot of that so you know in one way you know that's good uh now for usc it's a really good deal because you know they didn't have to pay for all the things over the, all the years that <clears throat> that the coliseum commission probably should have kept updating and upgrading but you know as we know nobody knows where all that money went uh but uh um that's a good question. We're gonna have to find out all those, you know, specific details, uh, when we get in that building because, um I don't think we know all the, you know, ins and outs, uh, um, you know, financially of, of how that's gonna work if it's got a private box.
2: So we have an email from our friend of the pod, Joan. She says, I read this article today about the falling attendance in the SEC and game scheduling. It seems like they are grappling with falling attendance and the cost of scheduling these expensive non-conference puff games. While we are grappling with falling attendance because of product on the field, SC thinks changing to the cupcake scheduling will help us with getting into the playoffs as well as not hurt attendance. I listened to your pod on this very subject after the Lopes interview. We can't seem to get off of home base with anything. Always way behind the curve, not knowing what else is going on in other divisions, and totally just out of touch. Would love for you guys to discuss. Thanks so much, and I look forward to your next event, Joan.
1: Yeah, Joan wasn't able to – real quick, Dan. Joan Joan wasn't able to make the event, uh, unfortunately, but her daughter Chloe did, so uh, it was fun to have her out there. We're actually going to do another one uh, at the lab. Uh, well, it's it's with uh, Jake Olson's company, Engage, on uh, June 25th. So check check the site for information on that if you want to come to another event. It should be good. But th- Dan, this is a really good point because the SEC, everyone's struggling with attendance because it's it's way, way easier to sit in your house on your couch and have a beer and watch your 80 inch HD TV and not deal with all this other stuff going on. The SEC loves to just get more home games and they would schedule these FCS programs. Well, they're trying to get away from that now because. They want more people to come out the games, and USC is kind of like late to the party on that. And it's like, hey, let's do what the SEC was doing 15 years ago, which they're getting away from now. So I think Joan has a very good point. It seems like USC is going in the 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 wrong direction, or yeah, maybe it was the right direction 15 years ago, but it's not the right direction now.
0: Well, and and one of the reasons that the SEC has seen the light is those schools are now asking for. Oh uh, yeah, we'll come and be your uh, you know directional opponent. Uh, how about 1.4 million? Does that sound right? Oh yeah. Well, and and that number keeps creeping up because you know the SEC schools do make a lot of money in their home games. But the more you do that, the more people, even in you know Tuscaloosa, Alabama, start looking around and saying, "Well, you know, I could go. You know, we could have a big party here in the fraternity house." and we wouldn't have to leave, and we wouldn't have to, you know, we could just stay right here and watch that game. And so I think one of the places they've lost attendance in the SEC is in the, uh, uh, the students. I mean, they're really trying to figure out what can we do to get the students to come out to the game. And um, that's, uh, that's an issue, uh, you know, for the SEC. So you hate to see USC arriving late at the party and then realize it. Oh man, these schools, these Division One, you know, programs uh, that we've never not played a Division One, uh, you know, uh, uh, the FBS teams. We've never played anything below that. They want a whole lot of money because the SEC gives them a lot of money. I don't know if we can afford that. I, USC has to just become more creative. They got to figure out ways to. You know how many two for one with uh, UNLV and play the third game in the new stadium over there that's going to host uh, the Pac-12 for a bowl game every year. Those kinds of things. Uh, uh, do what uh, uh, Alabama does and, and be maybe the host school at the new um, uh, Rams Stadium and maybe a preseason kind of a first week of the season game the way Alabama does. Uh, you know a Texas. Uh, you know, in Arlington, or they do it at Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. There are just a lot of other ways that you can probably be creative, figure out how to get the job done. I mean, apparently, from what we heard, USC made more money uh, from the Alabama game in Arlington than from any of the home games. So there are ways you don't have to play seven home games. Uh, you know, if you want to really look at what do, and USC's rationale was, well, we need to get to the playoffs. And the way to get to the playoffs is to play seven home games. And you say, well, wait a minute. There are a lot of things you got to do to get to the playoffs. Playing seven home games is just one of the things that the, you know they do in the SEC. But they also don't play nine conference games. And they absolutely don't play five road games every other year in the conference. So maybe USC ought to start there in the Pac-12 and say, look, we don't want to play uh nine games every year and we don't absolutely don't want to play five road games in the Pac12 every other year and things have to change and when you you know talk to USC about that they kind of go oh uh, you know, we we ask them but they nobody wants to listen to us well you got to make them listen to you you really you have to figure out ways in which uh you can use whatever leverage you got and what USC's got is LA and the Pac 12 doesn't exist if they can't recruit in LA and Southern California. And, uh, USC's got to figure out how to make that work. And, and to this point, they haven't. And they, they need to, USC's got to start developing some really strong leadership for itself in, in the Pac 12. And, uh, they also got to get the football program back up to speed really quickly. But, uh, you put those two together. Yes, he's got to, you know, not just go with the flow. They got to kind of take charge and, and figure out how to get get where they want to get. But I don't know that that's the the way to do that is by playing, uh, you know, Eastern Washington, uh, or you know, or Nevada, or whatever, and just say, well, there's other schools wouldn't play us. So, sorry, Robert, are
2: you? Gonna no, say no, that? no. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from Marcel from the IE. He says, when does Larry Scott? Co- Larry Scott's contract expire, and what determines if his contract is renewed? Does his current contract contain any bonuses?
1: I think it's... Three more years. Yeah, there's a couple more years. It's before the 2024 TV deal gets up. So the whole point, if you're not a Larry Scott fan, which if you're basically a human that likes Pac-12 football, you're not a Larry Scott fan, um, you don't want him to be the one that does the next contract. But this equity deal and all this stuff that's going on. I think that's a way for him to try to, like, stay involved in all this. And his compensation is now over $5 million per year. So uh, absolutely insane.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he slim flimmed you know, the Pac-12 presidents by saying, you know, I really need to be paid double because I'm also running the, the networks which of course run into the ground. I mean, yeah. you know, he run in the networks and a league that just loses ground every single year. And certainly in the two major sports that matter. And, uh, and he, he just, you know, I mean, one of the things that was really difficult when you watched it in the Pac-12 was that he was able to go over the heads of the athletic directors. Now, some of that might be because the athletic directors just weren't smart enough and strong enough. And, And and determined enough that he go right to the presidents who basically you know they're presidents they're not you know very many of them know that much about what's going on in in college sports and he was able to kind of you know negotiate with those guys and he was really good at you know saying well we're going to do this or you know this might not have worked but next time we're going to really you know we're going to get these people to invest and we're going to no no you you don't know what you're doing. by the way, okay. I don't know if I should reveal this. I went. I found Larry uh, came in as a tennis guy. Went to Harvard. Was on the uh, on the uh, ATP tour. Anybody want to guess what Larry's record was as a tennis pro? He um, was one. He was one and eighteen all time in singles. Okay. He made sixty seven thousand dollars. He was his best ranking was two hundred and tenth. He also, he did win twenty uh, out of fifty-nine uh, doubles matches, and he was ranked as high as number sixty-nine. But uh, that's uh, that's Larry. Yeah, he figured uh, it out. He's got it going. I'll tell you what. Uh,
1: so you make sixty-seven thousand as a tennis pro, and that's what you make like per lunch break as the uh, Pac-12 commissioner. Pretty good. He was yeah, still, pr- I, mean, I mean, I'm not going to regret, like, the guy was a professional tennis player. I mean, he, you know, he's better than all of us, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, without <laughs> a doubt. <laughs> yeah. I would like to be good at tennis. I just, that's one of those sports I never. Tennis is fun. It's like I've, when I've done it, it's fun, but I've just never, you would have to take some lessons and stuff. And it's one of those things you can keep in shape as you get older and stuff. And see,
2: I'm surprised because you play beach volleyball and I feel like there's similar things between volleyball and tennis.
1: Yeah. Like there's topspin and there's things. I just never, I played like some racquetball in college, but I never just had like a friend that would like play tennis with me all the time. So I never, (laughs) like I think I dated a girl once or two. Like, but like it's just one of those things where like now I have to kind of join a club or something and, and play. But and
0: you got to find somebody who's about as good as you are. Yeah, that you, you can know, play if with a lot. Much better or much worse—that's not any fun. No, tennis, I mean, it's—it's it's not like we're golf. You can go out and play against the course. Uh, tennis, you got to find somebody to play against, and—and and that's uh, kind of a challenge.
1: It's and it's a good, but it's hard on you too because you're running and stopping and like for beach volleyball, I can keep playing that. Like I'm still tall, so that helps. But it's uh, you know, it's not hard on your knees or your ankles because you're you're landing on the sand all the time. So. Ah.
2: Yeah, and like
1: indoor, it's hard for me to do because like you can jump higher, which is great. Like I can pound the ball, but you have to land every time you jump, and yeah. it's like ouch. You know?
2: Really, <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a court versus sand person. Really? Yeah, I like court so much better. Anyway, uh, we're supposed to be on task yeah, here. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> two more got, questions, guys. We'll
1: we'll wrap these up quick. Are these even like relevant? Uh we'll just do it. We'll
2: just do it. Well, I mean, Dan, classes of nineteen sixty two is kind of on the same page with Dan in, as in regards to the last how he answered the last question. He says, uh, "The question about national championship potential is always about leadership, whether it is coaching, university presidents, or conference commissioners. The Pac twelve and especially USC has been sorely lacking in outstanding leadership during the last ten years." Pete Carroll made Jacob Rogers, who was recruited as a tight end, into an All-American offensive tackle. Doctors Topping and Hubbard made USC into a high-class research institution as well as a school with outstanding athletics. Larry Scott has brought out the demise of the Pac-12, and until USC, UCLA, Stanford, Washington, and Oregon get together and demand better leadership, it will not happen because Larry Scott has catered to the parity that benefits the lower-ranked schools in the conference. Just follow the money. I brought this up before, but what do you think about USC? USC cashing in and moving to the SEC or Big Ten. Go mannequins. Oops, I mean Trojans. Fight
0: on. Yeah, I think geography, you know, would would preclude that. I just think, uh, in a follow up to today's column, I thought one of the really good suggestions because I've talked about how if USC and UCLA went together, they could basically hold the Pac-12 up by saying, "Look, we're thinking about departing." And you're going to lose LA and Southern California. And what are you going to do about that? But, but another idea was USC leaves and, and partners with Arizona State. And I think, you know, Phoenix area is now up to the number four market in the country and LA is the number two market. And you go to the pack or the Big 12. Big 12 has only got 10 schools right now. And you go there and you say, we'll give you 12. And, uh, you know, with the way you're, you know, handling your, you know, your finances, this will help you guys. I mean, you're talking about a league where the schools are in places like Lubbock, Texas, and Ames, Iowa, and Stillwater, and Norman, Oklahoma, and, uh, Manhattan, Kansas, and Lawrence, Kansas, and Morgantown, West Virginia. And those, you know, and they're producing way more money for those schools than the PAC-12 in all the big cities that the PAC-12 is in. And that would be an interesting move if you you partnered up with Arizona State and said, hey, Big 12, we're thinking about coming your way, at least in football. I mean, I always think the thing you ought to do is use the Notre Dame model, which is Notre Dame offered the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference half of their football schedule if the Atlantic Coast Conference took all the other Notre Dame sports. And I think that would be the model for the Pac-12, which you would, you would go to the Pac-12 and say, look, we'll stay for all the other sports. We'll give you a half a schedule. Uh, so you will get into LA, not as much as you would, or you would, but, uh, and for that, we'll take half of the TV contract and then you work out a TV deal. Wherever, whether it's independent or whether you go to another conference, you work out a deal like Notre Dame has their own deal with NBC, and then they have a, uh, uh, half of their, uh, the ACC deal. So Notre Dame gets kind of a deal and a half. Uh, and that's a pretty good deal. And USC ought to be thinking thoughts like that. What can we do to get into a place you know like that? There aren't many schools that could do it. And obviously, uh, before USC could even contemplate that, they have to get the football program right. And they got to get it right right away. But uh, if they do, they've got to be thinking those thoughts because I think staying with the Pac-12 for another 12-year horrible deal that's going nowhere other than down um, is just not the way to go. Yeah. I just think they're falling too far behind too fast.
1: Yeah, listen to the—, the-, the
0: hand- Yeah.
1: The Bruce Feldman uh, part of the podcast, he talks about that a little bit where, you know, he feels it's a realistic possibility that USC could do that. Well, they need the right leadership to be able to at least explore that. Just looking into it to show, hey, this is something we're thinking about. I think you would give your USC a benefit. So just just looking at it. And USC hasn't done that, but they haven't had the right leadership for that. So this would all have to change after Carol Folt comes in. Uh, different change in the athletic department. Then you, there's a real possibility there. But a guy like Bruce thinks that you know there's only a few schools that could do something like that. USC happens to be one of them. But you have to go out and and at least explore that and and put you know put the tw- Pac-12 on notice. Hey, we're looking. We don't like this contract. We're looking somewhere else. So do you want USC around? You better make some changes.
0: I mean, it happened before right? when Dr. Hubbard was president, and and the uh, uh, Stanford and somebody else forcing it or whatever. They were going to – the U.S. The Pac-12 had spent a year. Or, and then they were the Pac-8, and they were going to add the two Arizona schools. And USC and UCLA wanted that to happen. And at the very end of the night uh, of the day, when they were ready to vote for it, the Stanford president, who hadn't been part of any of the deal, had come, came into the meeting in, in San Francisco and said, you know – those schools don't look like Stanford to me. I don't think we want them. I don't think I'm going to go for it. And Dr. Hubbard, the USC's president, got up and said, well, here's what's going to happen now. You see all the media people that were outside at the St. Francis Hotel waiting for us to come and inform them about this meeting? Well, we're going to tell them it's now the PAC-6 because USC and UCLA are leaving. We're going. <laughs> we're, by, we're out of here. And the Stanford president went, oh, 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 no, no, oh, you can't do that. No, no, no. And by the end of the day, Arizona and Arizona State were part of the Pac 10. But, you know, that, that USC president didn't allow that to happen. He just said, No, we're the leaders. And he, he very wisely had UCLA kind of be the, the spokesperson, but USC was driving the show. And they made it happen. They said we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, wa-. and where they were willing, we're gonna walk out of here, and you're gonna be the Pac Six. How do you like that? And they said, obviously, we don't like that. That would really be a bad thing. So uh, USC has to assume that position, and we haven't seen anything remotely close to that yeah. in athletics.
2: So we have one final question, and it's usually how we end the podcast with a softball question.
0: (laughs)
1: Softball.
2: (laughs) Uh, John in Oakland says, a question for Dan. I'm so tired of seeing the college softball World Series year after year on ESPN without a USC team. Do you think that either the Coliseum or the intramural field in the University Village might make for a good home for USC's women's softball? If so, what will it take to get Lynn Swan to recognize this and add softball as a new sport at USC, the first of his tenure as AD? Both Mike Garrett and Pat Hayden added new facilities and sports at USC. So far, there's been nothing major by Swan. Fight on, John.
0: Yeah, I think you, um, I think softball and, and, and women's gymnastics are the way to go. I think, you know, you've got the facilities for gymnastics and they're selling out and a lot of the schools, uh, in the Pac-12 and, um, and I think, you know, softball is, you just watch those lineups in the world, women's world series and you see, you know, Oklahoma or teams like that and half their starters are from, uh, you know, Southern California, um, yes he would have the ability with the right coach if they started softball would have the ability to challenge you know for a national championship in you know the first three or four years i just you know you don't have the same situation where uh all these kids think they're going to be able to be major league baseball players uh you know for the women i think you know you get enough scholarships um uh, in softball not like baseball And, you know, they're not thinking, well, I can get signed if I go to Long Beach State or Fullerton or Irvine or wherever, um, for a lot less money, uh, when they divide up the scholarships. So, so I think, you know, softball would be the way what I would go. And I think you'd have to really do some, uh, smart figuring out as to where you would play. Could you put one in the, uh, put, could you put a softball field? You know, in the um, in the L.A. Football Club Stadium? I don't know. And, and would the seasons overlap in ways that, y- you know, you couldn't do that? I don't know. Would the Coliseum be the way to go? I mean, they put baseball in there. Um, so you would think, again, if you were creative and you really, you know, set your mind to doing it at USC, you could get it done. I don't think you had... And I know that, you know, they were thinking when they create, when they started lacrosse, they thought, ooh, good, this is going to help us recruit kids from the East Coast. And that's an East Coast sport. You know, for me, dumb as I am, I would have said, why not do the West Coast sport for UFC? <laughs> yeah. Why not do the sport that's so, that Southern California is by far the best of any place in the world in women's softball? Why not do that sport? But... What
1: do I know? Yeah. And one thing, there's some NCAA rules, like, because USC has baseball and Dado Field, you can't just put women's softball on some intramural field somewhere. Like, there has to be a comparable, I believe that's the, at least it used to be, a comparable rule. And when we asked. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: You can't do it. Like, it would have to be something good. And I think Dan and I sat down with Pat Hayden, whatever, how many years ago, and asked him, like, I asked him this specifically, and it was like, not even on his mind and it was just like and it wasn't because of the even the facilities it was just like money like that's it was just it was going to be too expensive and uh so it, that was kind of weird when we were talking to him about that but i assume that's going to still be the reason now
0: i know he gave us a number of a million dollars a year for every one of those sports that it would cost and 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 considering pat's salary uh, there's yeah. just no way you could come up with that million dollars a year out of his three million dollar, um, salary. But, uh, yeah, you know, you would like to see somebody just walk the campus and say, you know, is, is it something that could you reconfigure, uh, Laker, you know, Cromwell Field, Poker Stadium? Uh, is there any, any, any possibility of, of, of redoing, you know, some of those, uh, fac- facilities on campus I don't know but you'd have to you have to take a really you know good look I don't you know I don't know if the field outside of uh, of uh, uh, the McKay Center for example does that field give you you know I use it for intramurals Uh, what are the exact dimensions and and could you you know play around with the you know the the stands over on you know local I don't know I don't I don't know because I don't think anybody's ever done that, but I think it would really be worthwhile for USC to do it and see where that takes them. Um, yeah. I mean, you might, you might see a USC-UCLA um, you know, championship game in a few years, although I'm thinking the people who schedule the NCAA tournament would probably put those two teams in the same bracket every year, if, if my guess were correct.
2: With What's going on with the athletic department? I mean, how much leeway would they have to, you know, start a whole new sport while there's an investigation kind of in the in the works?
1: Um, Like two FBI things and stuff going yeah. on? Yeah, probably yeah. not. I mean, it's all about leadership and there's just not – I mean, to say like Lin Swan hasn't done anything. Yeah, he's – I mean, he's <laughs> – it, it, you need new leadership there. And I think if you have good leadership, there, there'd be, I think, real reasons. that Like if someone came in that's been an athletic director before, would analyze everything like, okay, this would make sense, this would not. And I think you'd get a better... I just don't think you could have any confidence that the decisions being made to add or not add right now are coming from a place of, uh, you know, like an intelligent conversations about what these things are and and knowing like, hey, we did this when I was the athletic director here and this worked and this didn't. So we're going to do that now. You you don't have anything like that at USC.
0: I was thinking the other day with uh, what Bruce was talking about Saturday, I wasn't sure how many people at USC uh, in the athletic department would have understood what Bruce was talking about. I mean, I'm just not (laughs) convinced that they would have picked up on, you know, tier three rights and, you know, all of, I just I don't know. I I'm I'm
1: just not sure. Yeah. All right, well we should probably wrap this up cuz this is hour a and a half long podcast. Longer than both of the other part episodes <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> um but yeah, thanks for uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. So we are on a new platform called Megaphone. It shouldn't affect you like if you download this from Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you listen, it will still be there. It'll just look a little different when we post it on the website. So if you listen on usafootball.com it'll just be a different embed. Uh, but you're depending on your app, we've heard some people get, you know, episodes downloaded. I don't know. There's those, we almost have a thousand episodes of the peristyle podcast. Like we're wow. getting, it's a 980 oh. something or something like that, like are in there. So we had to, you have to move all those over. So, I mean, I didn't have to do it, but that's <laughs> somebody did that. So, um, you know, Pretty cool. So if there's something weird going on with your app, that's probably uh, what it is, but just to let you know. Uh, but that's uh, that's Keela Yor mm-hmm. and Dan Weber. And uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. And thanks so much for tuning in. hope you guys check everything out. The site is buzzing right now. There's a lot of positive momentum. A so lot's
2: going
0: on.
1: Make sure you're jumping on the Peristyle, the message board, not the podcast, checking out what's going on there because lots of information uh been been dropping we even had like Gavin Morris uh, tweet out so who's going to be at the Coliseum on August 31st if you if you watch Tunnel vision that's all he <laughs> talked about is like yeah. come come out come out come out so he knew something was going on uh some positive momentum mm-hmm. there so thanks so much for tuning in everybody and we will talk to you next time you may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets people ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.